0: Greenie with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: As it is, back and better than ever on a Friday. Greenie with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests on the Shell all Performance line. Lots of good ways to get a hold of me, including just tweeting and using the hashtag Greenie. Hashtag Greenie with the Y. I check it all the time. We'll reply, we'll chat, we'll talk. There's a lot to get into today. Only one obvious place to start, even though there'll be a lot of football on the show today. But the place we start is with three words. What a shot. What a play. That was unbelievable what happened last night. And there's nothing I love more than hearing. And a great job by Brian Anderson on TNT, who did a terrific job with the play-by-play of the miracle shot the Raptors used to beat Boston last night. Did you see it? Kyle Lowry. Throwing the ball over and around the seven-foot six Taco fall, a 55-foot strike to O.J. Ananobi that had to hit him directly in the hands in shooting position because he had 0.5 seconds to drill a three that turned a three-nothing deficit for the Raptors into a title defense that still has life. That's one of the legendary plays in basketball history if they come back and win. And I love hearing how it sounds in the hometown play-by-play. Play. Here's TSN up in Canada. This is how it sounded to them. Ananobi catch and shoot.
2: Good! Down the bottom of the well for OG Ananobi. Toronto wins it. OG splashes it home on the cross-court pass from Lowry. They're going to review it. And if it stands,
0: Toronto is back in the series as OG... Splashes it down. Wow. I have seen it all.
1: (laughs) It's a good call. TSN. The shot obviously did count, and it's incredible. Which leads us to this. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And the straight talk is this. The Celtics are the better team and they're still going to win the series. That's what's going to happen. This just slowed it down. I picked Boston before the playoffs began. I picked Boston during the pandemic to win the Eastern Conference. Nothing has changed my mind, including that dis- disastrous, disgraceful defensive lapse. How in the world do you give up a three to beat you with half a second left in a two-point lead? I have no idea. I do have an idea, actually, because we diagrammed it on TV for you this morning, and there was a defensive miscommunication, and it winds up with Ananobi all alone. But it took a miracle for the Raptors to win a game last night, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics wind up winning it in five. That said... If the Raptors should somehow manage to win another championship, which I don't, I don't know who expects that. Kendrick Perkins has been picking them to make the finals for a while. I suppose they certainly have a chance of that. If they somehow manage to win a championship, then that becomes one of the great plays of all time. You know, it's right there with Kawhi's shot last year, I'm thinking of, that beat the Sixers. The one that bounced on the rim four times and went in in Game 7 against Philly. The difference, of course is that that shot ended the series. That shot goes in, it bounces, 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 goes in, Toronto wins, on they go to the next round, and ultimately they win a championship. This didn't do anything of the kind, but it did keep the Raptors alive. Love three, they're done, absolutely done. So I do think if they go on to win this thing, it becomes one of the greatest plays of all time. It becomes one of those that you see on highlight reels forever and that we reference all the time. When we talk about great moments and great shots, we go back to, remember when OG Ananobi hit, uh, hit that shot, a three to beat Boston? I don't expect it to happen at all. I expect the Celtics to win. They're just the better team. They're the best team in the East. They're the best team in the Eastern Conference. They have the most playoff-ready team in the Eastern Conference with Kemba and Tatum um, and, and Jalen Brown and Depth. They're good, and they're going to win. They should have won the game last night they will win the series, I still believe, in five. If they don't, if the Raptors come back and win, if the Raptors even make it to the finals, then I do believe that becomes one of the greatest moments, the kind of moment that you talk about forever in the NBA. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. We will talk much more about the NBA a little bit later. But we had breaking news this morning while we were on TV, and it is uh, surprising, I think, a little. Adrian Peterson Legendary running back who has been much more productive the last few years than I think most people realize was released by Washington today. Did you know that over the last two seasons combined, he's rushed for almost 2000 yards. He remains a productive first and second round running back at the age of 35. And Rob Nikovich told a great story about just how strong he is. He said Nikovic tried to tackle him one time and almost ripped his arm out of his socket, had to have surgery on his arm caused by trying to tackle Adrian Peterson. So Peterson wasn't generally a running back who relied primarily on his speed. And so those guys tend to be able to last a little longer. He's lost a step, but he still has that power. He's clearly not the player he was eight to 10 years ago. That's obvious when he was the MVP of the league in 2012, but he's still a good player. And he says there's no question in his mind he's still planning to play. And I have no doubt that he will. Someone will sign him. He'll play somewhere this year. But it did get me to thinking, and any of you who know me know how much I love doing this where does Adrian Peterson rank on the list of the greatest running backs of all time? It isn't an unreasonable question. He's undoubtedly the greatest of his era. This is an era where the role of the running back has changed and been devalued. And the evidence of that is he is still the last running back to win MVP. I actually have all the running backs ever to win the uh, MVP award in NFL history here. Going back to Jim Brown in 1957, Jim Brown wound up winning three MVP awards. There was a stretch where running backs won the MVP almost all of the time. And now it almost never happens Again, you look back over the last few years, the MVP, in in reverse order, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning. Before that was Adrian Peterson. Before that, you have to go all the way back to 2006 for the last time an MVP was a running back. So the game has changed. So it's kind of hard to hold that against the backs who never won an MVP award or the current ones. The only two active running backs in the top 20 on the all-time rushing list are Adrian Peterson, who ranks fifth, and Frank Gore, who ranks third. I'm now going into my opinion, and I'm always open to being proven wrong, or at least convinced to have my mind changed. So again, use hashtag Greeny, hashtag Greeny with a Y, if you disagree with the things I'm about to say. There was no question in my mind that Adrian Peterson is historically a greater player than Frank Gore. At no point was Frank Gore. If he was the best running back in the NFL at any point, that was a very short point. And Adrian Peterson was the best running back in the NFL for a while. So despite the fact that Gore is ahead of him on the all-time rushing yards list by about 1,000 yards, I will still put Peterson ahead of Frank Gore all-time. Adrian Peterson is fifth all-time. The other three running backs ahead of him are Emmitt Smith, Walter Payton, and Barry Sanders. I saw all of them their entire careers. No question in my mind, Emmitt Smith, Walter Payton, and Barry Sanders are all greater running backs than Adrian Peterson. To me, that's not disputable. So that leaves him at best fourth. Now we go down the list of players who check in behind him. Jim Brown is the 11th all-time leading rusher. He played a shorter career than most. He retired in his prime. He played at a time when the NFL season was 12 games long, when a 1,000-yard rushing season was extremely rare. There is no question that in the all-time list of greatest running backs, I put Jim Brown ahead of Adrian Peterson. That means the best Peterson can be is fifth. Now it gets interesting. Curtis Martin is right behind Peterson. LaDainian Tomlinson is right behind him. Down the list, we find Jerome Bettis, Eric Dickerson, Tony Dorsett. Marshall Falk. I'm looking all the way down to 21st on the all-time rushing list, which is where you find OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson is obviously a controversial person for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with football, but I'm old enough to have seen OJ Simpson play. And I'm telling you right now, if you're asking me pure running back, hand the ball to this guy and let him go. I've never seen anybody better than OJ Simpson. So this is an interesting one. If he never plays another down, Where does Adrian Peterson rank on the list of the greatest running backs of all time? In my opinion, the absolute highest you could even remotely consider would be fifth behind Emmitt, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, and Jim Brown. There are others on this list I think I would put ahead of him also, but I'd like to hear from you. Again, use hashtag Greeny, and we'll start talking about it as we continue here. I would also like to know if you have watched my new show, Better Days, which is available as of yesterday on ESPN+. Plus. It's a gambling show. So far, so good. People seem to really like it. It's on ESPN+, right now, Episode 1. I'd love to hear what you think of it, and we can talk about that a little bit back and forth. I will take some time to do that later today. Use the hashtag Greeny if you've had a chance to watch it. And if you haven't, I invite you to watch it, Better Days, B-E-T-T-O-R, days episode one is available on ESPN plus right now anyway Marcus Spears will join us shortly I'll ask him what it was like to try and tackle Adrian Peterson we'll get his thoughts on my divisional predictions and a whole lot more and up next a machine that just might change the rest of this year in sports in ways we did not see coming I will tell you all about that and more in a moment we're just getting started I'm Greeny and this is ESPN radio Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Greeny back with you on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Marcus Spears in 15 minutes on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. In just a moment or two, I will tell you about a new machine that could change the entire rest of the year in sports. I'll also tell you that you can check out ESPN at home by telling Alexa to play news from ESPN. ESPN Audio at Home is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Vans. Driver Mercedes-Benz van. Find out. How far an extra mile really goes from customization and service to financial assistance. Mercedes-Benz vans are ready for anything. Lots and lots of tweets using the hashtag Greenie, and I like it. Professor Mark Youngkin tweets at me. I don't remember much of Gail Sayers, but he should be in the conversation you're having of the best all-time running backs. I will tell you that my father would have agreed with you, and anyone old enough to have seen Gail Sayers will say that unfortunately he suffered a devastating knee injury at a time when that ended your career rather than just cost you a season. So Gail Sayers career is just too short in the same way that Sandy Koufax can't be the greatest pitcher of all time because he just didn't do it long enough. Gail Sayers can't be the greatest running back of all time because he just didn't do it long enough. Few other tweets here that I was looking at Alex Donovan tweets at me. You could make an argument for Marshall Falk being better than Adrian Peterson. Yes, you could. Marshall Falk was he was ahead of his time. Marshall Falk was a guy like Roger Craig on the early, really good San Francisco teams was a running back who caught the ball like crazy. That just wasn't the way football was played, for the most part, prior to that. Running backs didn't catch the ball. That wasn't what they did. Running backs toted the rock, and that was it, and that was what they did, and that was really the right way to judge them. But guys like Marshall Falk started doing it, and then and Tomlinson I I took, took it to an even greater level. James Jones tweets at me, the only running back I'm taking over Adrian Peterson in their prime is Emmitt Smith. So I enjoy all of the reaction. Again, use the hashtag Greeny, and I see it all, and we'll talk about it. Uh, and it doesn't mean, however, that I agree with it. I can tell you, I didn't see Jim Brown play. I'm not old enough to have seen him play, so I'm only going to tell you through my eyes what I've seen. The three greatest running backs I've ever seen. Number one, Walter Payton. Walter Payton was so good, it was ridiculous, and he did everything. Walter Payton was a devastating blocker. If you ever saw Walter Pay- watching Walter Payton pick up a blitzing safety was as entertaining to watch as anything you've ever seen in football. He also threw the ball like a quarterback, caught it more than most people did in his day, and was a brilliant runner. Walter Payton was as good a football player as I ever saw. Barry Sanders is next. Barry Sanders was ridiculous, and had he played longer and played on better teams, he would have set a record that no one would ever have approached. Barry Sanders running with the football was as much fun to watch as anything I've ever seen watching the sport. Barry Sanders would be next. And the third for me as a pure running back would be O.J. Simpson. The game was totally different then, and he didn't do it for long enough. He also got worn down, injuries, bad teams, lots of hits, different game. But he was great. So those are the guys I would put. But I think on the historical list of great players, I think Peterson is going to go ahead of OJ because he just did it a lot longer. He's not going ahead of Walter, and he's not going ahead of Barry Sanders. Let me hear from you. We'll see what you think, and we'll continue to talk about it here. You know, If you know anything about me, you know I love conversations like that. And you can cover all your bases with straight talk wireless, get the same networks as big carriers, only pay up to 50% less. Get the unlimited plan with 25 gigs of high-speed data, then 2G for just 45 bucks a month, only at Walmart. Savings may vary. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com. A machine It could change everything. In the Pac-12, did you see it yesterday? Did you see it on TV this morning on GetUp? Heather Dinich reporting that the Pac-12 and its commissioner, Larry Scott, have now got a machine that they can do practically instant COVID testing which they are describing as a game changer in trying to get their sports back in action and the possibility, the commissioner of the Pac-12, opening the possibility they could start playing football before the end of the year, which they had originally ruled out. Heather, who was terrific, also said this on Get Up about the idea that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten might try and team up and put together a season. Here's what she said.
3: He said he spoke to Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren and made it clear that the Pac-12 would like to align with the Big Ten in terms of returning to competition so that they could have an opportunity to play some of those traditional postseason games. And he didn't come out and say the Rose Bowl, but you know he was certainly talking about it.
1: Yes, no question. For those of you not aware, the traditional matchup in the Rose Bowl has always been the champion of the Big Ten against the champion of the Pac-12, whatever that conference was called at the time. And it's changed a little bit over the years because of the college football playoff and whatnot. But generally speaking, that's still that game. Now, there's going to be a Rose Bowl on January 1st this year, or at least there's going to be a game played in that stadium if we make it that far, because it is one of the semifinal games this year. So the college football championship teams, they're going to play a game there. But could we see at some time a month later or two months later or something like that, the Big Ten champion playing the Pac-12 champion? Could we see Northwestern playing USC? And I say Northwestern and I am wearing purple for those of you watching on ESPN News, because today is College Colors Day and I am repping my beloved Wildcats, who are set to have or were set to have a very good year in the Big Ten West, and I hope we'll still get some chance to. But let's even take my rooting out of it. If Ohio State were to play Oregon in the Rose Bowl, on I'm just making a date up, on Valentine's Day, in the middle of February, after both teams had played eight game regular seasons in their conferences, and then they play each other, what would that game mean? What would you think it meant? It's a fascinating question. Let's say that the rest of college football, Dabo Sweeney, has said it. We're going on. Dabo Sweeney, coach of Clemson, exactly what you would expect him to say. Listen, we're ready to play now. I hope those guys can play, but we're not waiting. And I don't expect anybody to. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 made their decisions. And I don't feel like there has been any alignment amongst these conferences for the most part. Now the Pac-12 wants to align with the Big Ten. But let's just say they go on and they do it. And Clemson and Alabama and Oklahoma and whoever else wind up playing a a, a 14 playoff as usual and there is a champion and there's confetti and there's yelling and we crown them the champs and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 at that point have started some semblance of a season and it continues through January into February wraps up in plenty of time for those players to still be prepared for the NFL draft so maybe most of the best players still play I don't know if they would what would that game mean It would be for the championship of something. It wouldn't be for the national championship, but it would be for the championship of something. And I can tell you right now, having gone to school in the Big Ten, the tradition and the history always was winning the Big Ten mattered more than anything, anything. I've said many times and people have made fun of me back when there was a BCS champion that was crowned. I said, I'd rather see Northwestern win the Big Ten and win the Rose Bowl than win the BCS championship because the BCS championship is just something we made up. But winning the conference and winning the Rose Bowl, that's what it's about. Now, I think that has changed now with the playoff. A playoff is a playoff. It's a a fully legitimate champion. So that has changed. But there's no way in the world a Big Ten champ playing a Pac-12 champ in the Rose Bowl means nothing. The question is, what does it mean? We'll talk about that as we continue here and again. You can always use the hashtag Greeny on Twitter, and I will always see it, and we will always chat. Meanwhile, Marcus Spears will join me to weigh in on all these and more in just a moment as we continue here.
0: Adrian Peterson being released in Washington. You don't ever want to be put in a position where they ask you to leave. And this is a situation where they're asking him to leave. Remember,
3: this is a 36-year-old running back who's been on 14. This is one
1: of the most productive running backs in the history of the sport. Is he someone who you would expect, we should expect to get picked up somewhere
3: else? I do expect Adrian Peterson to be on a team.
0: He's accomplished everything that you could possibly accomplish as an NFL football player. Let's just get the next chapter of our life going.
1: Greeny with you. ESPN radio. I'm on TV on ESPN news. Marcus Spears is one of the absolute best that we have. He's on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. Shell V power nitro plus premium gas. I have a million things swag who I want to get to with you today. But first, Ninkovich told me a great story this morning on Get Up that one time he tried to tackle Adrian Peterson and he wound up having to have surgery on his arm because Adrian Peterson was so strong. How would you, Marcus <laughs> Spears, describe what it is like to try to tackle Adrian Peterson?
0: Very difficult, G. Um, not only strong, but fast and quick. And can be out of your sight of vision in a in a blur. And I've had one, of, to be honest with you, the Dallas defense I played on had one of the better performances against AP in his career when Brett Favre was actually in Minnesota and he was still there. I think we limited him to like thirty something yards, but obviously we gave up some yards through the air to Brett. But as good as they come, um, in the argument as a top five if not if not top three back to ever play the game, when you talk to guys that played against him, uh the strength, the power, the vis the, the vision, all of the things that you want to make up in a running back and not to mention when he gets in the open field not getting caught um he he was a special player man uh tough to tackle um I didn't have as much problems as Nick
2: though.
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> typically immodest is my man Swagoo uh, if I were to ask you and again we expect Peterson to play again and he says he's going to play again but if I were to ask you who was the best running yeah. back that you ever played against who would you say
0: LaDainian Tomlinson Um, and, and G to be honest with you, I don't think it's even close LT ability to see beyond the first level. He, he, he usually didn't even pay attention to the D lineman. Um, his speed, his quickness into the hole, he hit the hole downhill, wasn't a big, uh, back, but very difficult to tackle. And he was already thinking about his move on the second and third level before the ball was even handed off to him his vision there's one thing you could see you could see lt looking at the direction he was going to run and you still could not stop him he was that special and not to mention he would get lost behind them big guys and once he saw a crease it was over with made plays out of the backfield was unbelievable. And don't even mention getting into the uh, red red area, which is 20 yards and in most teams look for their tight end. And Antonio Gates was on those teams with the charges that he played with. They look for those guys to create one on one matchups and, and score touchdowns. The Chargers was going to run the ball with LT, and you knew it, and damn it, you could not stop it. We had the perfect plan going into a lot of those games, and he just made us wrong.
1: Marcus Spears on the new NFL Live with Orlovsky and Laura Rutledge and Mina Kimes and company. You see them every day on ESPN, 4 o'clock Eastern. Okay, I asked a question, Swagoo, and I'm going to ask it to you. If the Pac-12 and the Big Ten wind up having – that start around Thanksgiving, and Ohio State and Oregon both wind up 8-0 in their respective conferences, and sometime in the middle of February, they play each other in the Rose Bowl. What will that game mean, assuming there has already been a college football playoff and a champion crowned and confetti dropped and celebrations performed? What would that game, being played several months later, mean?
0: Nothing. Nothing. G. It won't mean anything to anybody outside of the Pac-12 and Big Ten. Look, the, the premise of college football has been set for a long time. And the playoff is what determines a champion. Now you can go out. It's a lot of teams, a lot of leagues that can go out and play their own damn football. They can create divisions. <laughs> they can create. Um, um, they can create championships. <laughs> they can do all of that. We had this conversation when, um, when, when the team in Florida is. I'm drawing a blank, but they deem themselves UCF yeah. deem themselves the national. Yeah, UCF deem themselves the national champions. Hell, everybody, I knew that cover college football didn't consider them champions. You can believe what you want to believe. They had a parade. They passed out rings. They made arguments. You know who was the national champion? The people that were deemed in the college football playoff the national champion. So I get it. I understand trying to keep that visibility. And people will watch, G., Look, it's football. People are going to watch if the Pac-12 and Big Ten play in the Rose Bowl and two of the better teams. We can have arguments and we can come away saying, hey, that team was legitimately good enough to be national champions if they would have participated in what the college football season was. But it won't mean a damn thing in the grand scheme of things because you can't based on the systems that we've implored. You can't determine yourself being a national champion. That's it.
1: Yeah, it would be fun to watch them try to do it, though, right? We all know our friends in Columbus, Ohio. They 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 would find a way to name themselves national champs. All right, Swag, we talked about the NFC North on TV today. You and I did. We did not get a chance to talk about the AFC North. You weren't with us in our first hour today. I made a somewhat controversial pick. I have Pittsburgh winning the... North, I think that with a with a healthy Ben mm. Roethlisberger and that defense, as good as Baltimore is, and they're great, and as great as Lamar is, and he's brilliant, I'd like the Steelers to win that division. Am I nuts?
0: Yeah, you nuts and you know damn well you're nuts that's why you asking me this question on the radio show right now because you know damn well the Baltimore Ravens are the better team in that division Uh. look I get it everybody's expecting Ben to have a bounce back that was a us eight win team last year, seven or eight win team last year without a quarterback. They, they played duck, duck goose at quarterback. I get it. I understand <laughs> where you're coming from. The defense top five, they can play. But do people forget that the Ravens defense was damn good, too? And yeah, they lose Earl Thomas. But the addition of Marcus Peters and not to mention, they signed one of the better defensive linemen in the league in Calais Campbell. This is still a really good defense that Baltimore has. And let's not even get started. Gee, we know who owns this league, especially that division when it comes to playmaking ability, the dynamic ability that Lamar Jackson has outside of Patrick Mahomes, obviously. They are still the favorites. They won last year. They're going to win the division again this year. They and, and two, I want people to pay attention to this because you know I like being on record as a first or possibly a guy saying something nobody else is saying. Mark Ingram is great. But JK. Dobbins has a has the possibility of pushing to be the offensive rookie of the year. I believe he's mm. that good of a football player. And in this system, with the threat of Lamar running, And Greg Roman featuring running backs and making sure and I believe they are going to try to take some of those hits and design quarterback runs off of Lamar Jackson, which is going to translate into both of those guys having carries. And I think J.K. asserting himself as one of the best better backs in the league. Watch out for uh, J.K. Dobbins as well. Team is gonna be good, G. You out of your mind. I get it. And I'm not mad <laughs> at you for thinking that about Pittsburgh based on Mike Tomlin, based on the defense and the success we've seen him have. But it's Baltimore's division, damn it. You know it. I know it. And you gotta say something to be different. So have at it, brother.
1: We will see what happens. No one does it better than the big swagger. Thank you, Marcus. Have a wonderful weekend. I will see you next week. And we have much more to do oh, in man. this hour here of Greeny. You're the best. Uh, we have much more to do in this hour, including you'll hear Bill Belichick saying exactly what you would expect Bill Belichick to say.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
3: Cam Newton has been named starting quarterback of the New England Patriots as they begin life after Brady. But the fact that he was also named an offensive captain seems like a big-time statement about what and who Cam Newton already is in that Patriot
2: locker room. This is unprecedented. In all my years covering Bill Belichick's Patriots teams, there simply isn't an example of a player coming in two months ago and being named a captain.
1: Greedy with you on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. I can tell you, Rob Ninkovich, who was on Get Up with me this morning, in our meeting that we have before our show, we had a pretty long conversation about that, and he agrees with what you just heard Mike Reese, who covers the team, say. Essentially, Ninkovich said, it's a big deal that Cam Newton is a captain there. A big deal. And I think you might find this interesting. I know I did. I asked Ninkovich... What, what besides walking out to you know midfield for the coin toss, what else do the captains do? And he said that at the end of the week, the captains meet with Belichick. They go in there and they, after the last practice on Friday, they all go there and they sit down with Belichick and they go over stuff. They go over what went well, what didn't go well in practice. They, they have some hand in shaping the game plan. And I, I think that's really interesting. And the fact that Cam is there, and Inkovich pointed out, that on almost every team, the starting quarterback is going to be a captain. So let's not overstate this. I'm not trying to, to say that, that um, Cam being named a captain in New England is a sure sign that anything is going to happen, except that I think it is further evidence that this has gone really well, that the marriage of Cam Newton and Bill Belichick, which, which was certainly worthy of, of wondering about, of questioning whether that was a good fit, That could not possibly seem to have started better than it has. Now, none of that matters when we get to a week from Sunday against Miami. We'll start finding out if it works or not. I haven't heard this yet, so we'll hear it together for the first time. Belichick today was apparently asked about this. I'm I'm told you'll hear the question in it. Go ahead, guys. Let's hear Bill Belichick today.
3: Uh, Word came out yesterday that uh, Cam Newton was named a starter. Just um, what have you seen from him throughout camp, and what does it say about him that he's yeah i'm not we're not naming any uh we're not naming any starters in any positions so um you know any, any conversations that i have with the team will stay between me and the team but we're not we're not naming any any roster starters or positions or who's on the team or anything else like that so sorry i have to bypass that one
1: <laughs> he's the best never change um that's so that's exactly what you would expect Bill Belichick to say, so all good. So again, um, I, I have picked the Patriots to win that division. And I told you very simply because nothing could be more Patriots than signing a former MVP who is still young enough to be in his prime for nothing. They're paying him nothing and for him to be great. That's what the Patriots do. That you're hearing from a beaten down fan of another team in the AFC East. By the way, it's my fantasy draft tonight, and I don't know if you're playing fantasy this year. If you are, you should play it on ESPN.com. You can draft your team, compete with your friends, and take home the crown. Sign up at ESPN.com slash fantasy football today. I am Greeny, and I'm presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. Before we go any farther, I'll quickly mention the other uh, divisional predictions. I've been doing them on TV in the morning, and then I like to bring them here. So I've done the Easts. I did the AFC East, and I picked the Patriots. I did the NFC East, and I picked the Eagles. Today on Get Up, we did both Norths. I did the AFC and NFC North. You may have just heard my conversation with Marcus Spears. I'm taking the Steelers to win the AFC North in what I know is a surprise over Baltimore, and that is less about how good I don't think Baltimore is than how good I do think Pittsburgh is. And of all the stats that Hembo sends me to do these previews, my favorite one so far by far is this. Last year, in games in which they scored more than 10 points, the Steelers were 8-3. and three. 10 points. So I don't know that Ben Roethlisberger has to come back and be at his very best. If his arm doesn't fall off, he's better than what they had. Their defense is great. Their coach is so underappreciated. And if last year was, did one great thing for the Steelers I, or, or for Tomlin, I think it is that everyone recognizes what a great coach Mike Tomlin is. So I think the Steelers are going to be really good. I, they, they won eight games last year with the 30th best quarterback play in the sport. If that just gets to the middle of the pack, they win 10-11 games. And I think Baltimore will be great again, but I think that they will take a half a step backwards just because that's the way these things tend to go. I think Cleveland is going to be better too. I think Cleveland will make the playoffs. So that's my big picture look. And and the Bengals will be better because Burrow is great, but they'll still be fourth in a very good division. So I go Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati in the north. In the NFC North, Marcus yelled at me today, and so did Rob Ninkovich. Because they both say, if you've got Aaron Rodgers, you're going to win the division. And Aaron Rodgers is markedly better than Kirk Cousins. I, I don't know how to quantify the difference between the two of them. It is substantial. But I think Kirk Cousins in Minnesota has a much better team. Much. Even without Stefon Diggs, he has better receivers. He, I think that, that um, the running backs, if, if you're looking at just the feature running backs, you know, I mean, and Aaron Jones is terrific, but I think let's call that a push. The Minnesota defense is sensational, and they just added Yannick Ngakwe. So I've got Minnesota winning that division. They also went on the road and won a playoff game in a tough spot last year in uh, New Orleans and then had no chance against San Francisco. The schedule gave them no chance. If you remember how that worked, they played Sunday afternoon in New Orleans, played an overtime game, and then had to play Saturday in San Francisco. So they had no chance, which is not to say they would have beaten the 49ers anyway. But the Vikings, what I'm trying to say, and this is a long-winded way of saying it, is the Vikings are good. They're going to be very good. I think the Vikings are going to win that division. I think the Packers, so long as you have Aaron Rodgers, you always have a chance. They'll be second. The Bears, since they hired their quarterback guru of a head coach in Matt Nagy, are number one in the NFL in defensive efficiency and number 22 in offensive efficiency, and oh, by the way, they still haven't figured out who their quarterback is going to be, so they're not making the playoffs. And Matt Stafford, if he's back and his back is back, the Lions are a sneaky, interesting team. When he was healthy last year, they were really good, and then he went down and they never got up. They lost their last nine games in a row because their quarterback went down. I don't think they'll make the playoffs either, but I, I wouldn't put it completely out of reach if he comes back and plays and is healthy. Much more football as we go. Tweet me. Use the hashtag Greeny. We'll talk about it. To the hoop with Zach Lowe as well. Next, Greeny, ESPN Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the podcast.